How many of you have had the privilege of traveling to uh, Italy, to Florence specifically, and see Michelangelo's masterpiece, the David? Anybody seen that? It's an incredible work of art, is it not? Of all the things I've seen, maybe the one that has had a biggest impression on me is being able to stand in awe and amazement of this incredible masterpiece. And you sit there and you think, it was a rock that some masterpiece, Michelangelo specifically, through his mind's eye, was able to see a warrior king in the midst of a rock. And as he took a chisel and he took a, a hammer and he began to form this masterpiece and be able to stand at the foot of this masterpiece and say, wow. I mean, just, just the, the muscles that, that were bulging. You can see, it's so lifelike. And to see the, uh, the slingshot across his shoulder. And it, it just came alive. And I thought, wow, what an incredible piece of work this is. Scripture tells us of another rock, another rock, rock that is sculpted into a masterpiece. And his name is Peter. Peter, whose name means rock. You look through the pages of Scripture, and you're going to find the Holy Spirit chiseling and working on this man. And he's going to be shown to us as a great man. But he's also going to show to us the Spirit of God, through God's Word, is going to show us this man with great weakness. There's so much human about Peter. A masterpiece of God's. Really, I call it God's masterpiece. I mean... Peter, was he a piece of work or not? I mean, you look through the scriptures and you'll find this one that we can so much relate to, so readily identify with, with so many ways. Well, today we begin a journey. Today we begin a journey in the book of First Peter. And we're going to be here for a little while, so you may want to, you know, somehow dog ear First Peter or, or put a bookmark in there. Just like last year, you remember, we stayed in James for a few weeks, um, quite a few weeks. We, we will stay in Peter for quite a while as well. I had someone come up alongside me, a mentor of mine said, Hey, uh, Jeff, I heard you've outlined Peter. How many sermons did you outline? And I told him, he said, you know what? I may not want to share that with everybody else. It's kind of like announcing, welcome to a six hour uh, movie. You know, you're sitting there you gotta be kidding me, but we will be in first Peter for a while. And let me uh, tell you that I've been praying and our hearts encouraged that God's going to use this, use this in the life of our church. Use this in the life of this pastor. Use it in your life to make you more like Jesus, our Savior. Who is this masterpiece of God's? This one called Simon Peter. The one who does clearly show greatness and clearly show some incredible character flaws. This Peter that we'll be looking at has been forged through the fires. This Peter that we'll be looking at has been sifted by Satan. The Peter that we're looking at, I mean, he's seen heights that few of us have ever seen or ever will see. It was Peter who was one of the three that was able to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, and be enveloped by God's glory and see the transformation of his Savior and friend, Jesus. And to see Elijah appear and Moses appear. It was Peter who was there. Yet it was Peter who still didn't quite get what was going on. It was Peter who walked on water. You know, we all like to talk about stories around the table. It's always like one-upsmanship. Well, let me tell you what I did in high school, and let me tell you what I did in college. I mean, how about Peter saying, let me tell you about the time I walked on water? He did it. 
I mean, you remember the story? I mean, Peter was in the boat and he sees the Lord Jesus walking on water. And somehow Peter thinks it'd be a good idea to say this, Lord, if it's you, call me out there. Come on out, Peter. One step, two steps, he walked on water. And then guess what happened? He saw the wind, whatever that means. He saw the wind and he sank. It was Peter. Peter that will will proclaim in the Gospel of Matthew, the the hinge, the turning point of the Gospel of Matthew. It'll be Peter who will answer the question, who do people say I am, that Jesus is asking. It's Peter who will say this, you are the Christ, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah, you're the one that God has promised. You are it, you are God, you are man, you are son of the living God, Peter. And then, just a few moments later, He'll be pushing Jesus aside and rebuking him, saying, hey, all this death stuff you're talking about, let's don't talk about that. And Jesus would turn to Peter and say, behind me, Satan. Peter, who will have so high of heights and so low of depths. It's Peter. Peter, the one who will have such an incredible confession. The confession that Jesus is the Messiah that the entire church will be built on. It's Peter who one day to a little servant girl would cry out and say this, I swear to God I don't know him. Peter. Can you relate to Peter? You know my middle name? Jeffrey Peter. And for all of us who have had a tendency to speak before we think, for all of us who think too highly of ourselves, for all of us who seem to get it and then quickly lose it, for all of us who show flashes of greatness followed by ignoble moments of stupidity, for all of us who love Jesus but somehow in our words and in our action deny the fact we ever know him, Peter gives us hope. You see, I I relate to Peter. I, I laugh at and with Peter. I weep with Peter. And through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, we can still hear Peter's voice. Peter's one I can trust. I mean, he's got dirt under his his fingernails. I mean, Peter's Peter's a man's man. I mean, the the, the picture Caraggio had painted behind us, the one that shows Peter about ready to be crucified um, upside down, as, as, as history will tell us. I love looking at that picture, knowing that here is Peter. He's going to give up his life for his Messiah, but says, don't Hang me the same way you hung my Savior. Hang me upside down. You know what I noticed in that picture? I noticed his arms. Did you see him? I mean, they were like bulging biceps and, and his abdomen. He, he, he was an athlete. He, he was a man's man. And there's so much about Peter that I can relate to. Not that I have bulging biceps and I got a huge abdomen. But, <laughs> but you know what? Peter's one I could trust. I mean, Paul sometimes to me... I. I Paul's like, wow, Paul. But Peter is somebody I could hang out with. In 1 Peter, the whole point of this book we're going to be in is this. Peter's going to tell us two words. Stand firm. He's going to take five chapters and he's going to explain to us all the junk that's going on in life. He's going to tell us who we are in Christ. He's going to explain a lot of the suffering and a lot of the trials. He's going to present to us a glorious Savior. All because he's going to say, listen, Stand firm. This fisher of men is still fishing today. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1. We're just going to look at the first few uh, words today. And we're going to turn to uh, chapter 5 and see the theme of the entire book. Next week, we'll do verses 1 
uh, and two. But this week, listen to God's word. Peter, meaning rock. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, he tells us why he wrote these words. Chapter 5, I should say. Chapter 5, 12b. He says this. Peter says, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you in your incredible wisdom that God in your word, through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that you give to us, those who have gone before us, those who that we stand upon their shoulders of faith, and our faith joins their faith. God, you've given them to us as our heroes, as our, our, our forefathers. And God, I thank you that in your manifold wisdom, you've told us the truth about them. That God, there were, there were men and women like us, There were men and women who did great things for you and for the kingdom. And there were men and women who messed it up. And really, God, needed a Savior. And oftentimes, God, you show us painfully their flaws. And we see that as you show us their flaws, that you, God, can love us too and our flaws. And you can use us in our flaws. God, thank you for the life of Peter. And Father, we ask that he'd be a guide who would lead us to you through the next several weeks. The God that we would fall in love with Peter. We would trust Peter. But God, really, we would fall in love with you. And that he would be one who would be a fisher of men among the people of Orangewood, even in the next several weeks. Drawing us closer and closer to our Savior. God, open up our ears to hear from you. Open up our minds to understand. God, open up our hearts to embrace your truth. God, empower our feet to walk in the light of the gospel. Father, the things that are said that contain the good news of Jesus and that are true, would you use those things to make us not like Peter, but to make us like Jesus? And Father, the things that I said that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We ask that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great, we receive great joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick tour, a quick snapshot of Peter's life as an introduction to Peter's life. We're going to look at his conversion or his call. We're going to look at his confession, uh, the, really the hinge upon which the Gospels turn. We're going to see and look at G, uh, Peter's denial. And we're going to look at Peter's restoration. I don't know about you, but when I read a, a new book, the first thing I do with a new book is this. I go to the back cover, and usually on the back cover they tell you about the author, right? And really what I want to do is I want to find a little bit more about this author. Why? Because I want to understand the author's worldview. I want to understand the author's slant. I want to understand which perspective the author is going to come to this uh, idea about or this book about. Because I want to know their presuppositions. And if I don't know the author, I don't know if I can trust them. I mean, are they worthy to listen to? Or are they worthy? Are they an expert? Even this, this year in, in my uh, devotional books that I'm using this year, uh, there's one book that I'm really enjoying, and, and it's telling me about the names of God. And I got to tell you, I went to the back, and I found out that the author is not a, a Hebrew expert. And God's using it, and I'm learning things, but there was, there was a little disconnect. Think, oh, well, what does she know about Hebrew? And the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, what do you know about Hebrew? 
That's why I studied it once. But you want to know about the author to know, can I really trust? Can I really listen? Let me tell you, let's, let's find out about this author because we can trust him. First of all, it's, it's conversion. Let's turn with me to Luke chapter 5. As we go to Luke chapter 5, we'll find ourselves at the shore of Galilee. Uh, we'll find ourselves surrounded by a crowd. We'll find ourselves there with some fishermen. And we'll find uh, ourselves here in God's Word where he's calling his first disciples. Um, and so just kind of get that setting, if you will, and maybe s- uh, smell the, uh, the, the, the air and, and just uh, be impressed with what, where God is and who he's calling to himself. Listen to God's Word. Luke 5. I'm going to read 1 through 11. Now it happened that while the crowds was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, and any time Jesus spoke, he spoke the word of God because he is God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and they were washing their nets. Now here's the deal. Fishermen had fished all night. Uh, They had done fishing and we're going to find out that they had no success Now they're cleaning up. They're taking care of their stuff. Um, And while they're there, Jesus is going to use their boat as a wonderful pulpit. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter's. And he asked him to put out a little way from land. And he sat down. And by the way, this this is a position of teaching at that time. A teacher would sit down. And he sat down in the boat. And he began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking... He said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now let me ask you a question. How do you think Peter's attitude is right now? I mean, he's worked all night. What has he caught? Nada. What's he doing? Cleaning up his equipment. And what is Jesus asking? Now, what's Jesus' earthly occupation? Anybody know? Carpenter. And what is Peter? How would you feel? All right. All right. He's being respectful. All right, Master, I'm going to take the boat out here, and this is a great time to fish. Everybody's fishing out here this time of day. And uh, as if you can tell me anything, I don't know. I will do it. He does it. He lets down the net. And listen, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. How much fish is that? That their nets begin to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. Now listen, Peter often gets a bad rap as a dumb uh, a fisherman or a simple fisherman. And I think in a lot of ways Peter was simple. But listen, he had partners. He had a business. He was going to call for other boats. I was in Istanbul uh, this fall, and as many of the bridges in Istanbul, you'll find simple fishermen. And there they have. They have their one line, a little uh, bait uh, 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 pail. That's it. But Peter had enough. He had enough. He was enough of a fisherman that he had a boat and he had a partner. And so much fish was being caught that he had a signal to his other partner. They came over there, get this picture, and they came and filled both of the boats so they began to sink. Now, I don't know how big the boats were, but I know that fish are not that heavy. How much fish does it take to sink two boats? But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away. For me, Lord, I am a sinful man. 
For amazement had seized him and all his companions. And who were his companions? What were they? They were what? Fishermen. How much catch does it take for fishermen to be amazed and seized um, for all the fish they have taken? And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. What an incredible conversion. I think there's things that we have to hear that are similar to our conversion, similar to our stories. Really, there's some things here that are true of all of us, and it's a starting point. The starting point for Peter to finally get it, to know who he was dealing with, was his acknowledgement of complete bankruptcy was his acknowledgement of his own sin and depravity. I mean, Peter's eyes were open, and he realized that he was not just fishing with any normal man, that he was fishing with God Almighty. And coming into God Almighty's presence, the Holy One who's created in the heavens and the earth, caused Peter to realize that there was a disconnect between God and between himself. That he was defiled, that there was really um, a defilement in Peter's life that would cause him to be disqualified from God's love. And Peter's starting point has to be the same starting point with all of us is the acknowledgement of sin and defilement where he will say, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. You see, we can't get Jesus. We can't get Christianity until we go through the starting point. The acknowledgement that we don't deserve it. That we've been defiled, we've been separated from a holy God, but there is hope. Not only is there that starting point, but there's a pursuit of something greater. Peter leaves all behind. He's found a pearl of greater worth. Americans are told, and it's been since our conception, that we have the inalienable right for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That as Americans, we have the right to do this. We have the right to pursue that which will give us life, that which will set us free, that which will give us happiness. And that's what Peter was doing. He was a fisherman. But he found something greater. He found something greater that would really give him life. He found something greater that would really give him liberty. He found something greater that would really set him free. And it was Jesus. You see, his pursuit became Jesus. There's this misconception with with many in society that Christianity is about someone who's got nothing. Poverty. And there's true that we've got to understand our spiritual poverty. But as we pursue God, we will all of a sudden have worldly wealth. We see, that's the exact opposite with Peter. What happened to Peter? Peter had never had a catch like that. He had never has been as wealthy. Peter really, I mean, the, the fame of Peter's fishing of that day would transform him, transform him forever. He walked away from the greatest day of his life. The ship had come in. He had made it. He was a wealthy man that day. He was bringing to shore two boatloads full of fish. The greatest day of his life. The greatest success of his life. I mean, they would talk about Peter. I mean, his business would do nothing but expand. And that's what he walked away from. We got got to understand that. It was at the zenith of Peter's success that he walked away. Why? 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 Because he found someone of greater worth. 
Have you? What's, worth great, what's, what's greater worth than Jesus? What can this world offer us that is greater to pursue? What can the world offer us that will give us life, liberty, and happiness greater than Jesus? And the truth is nothing. When he came and he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, it is true. We cannot find it anywhere else. Peter acknowledged that. And he said, for me, my pursuit now will no longer be fishing. My pursuit now will be Jesus. And there I hope to find my life. Well, not only is there a starting point in this pursuit, but there's also an identity change for each one of us. There is clearly an identity change for, for Peter. He says, Peter, you've been called a fisherman. Now you'll be called, with a play on words, a fisher of men. I've been intrigued by people that I've known with dual citizenship. Do you know people with dual citizenship? Maybe they were born in one place, one country, and they grew up in another place. Uh, William Crows. Uh, William, are you here today? Uh, a new member, who, a single man who joined our church. He's got dual citizenship, both Dutch, uh, South American, uh, I believe. Um, and it's kind of cool. Which identity are you? I mean, kind of, William, who do you want to be today? Well, one thing that Peter is going to tell us is this is that we cannot have, this is important, Peter's really going to amplify this, we cannot have dual citizenship. That if we are His, by God's grace, saved through the work of Jesus Christ, we are a holy nation. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. That is who we are in His eyes, and that is under the banner of the citizenships that we're supposed to live our lives. But Satan wants to twist that and wants us to think that, no, no, you really have dual citizenship. What identity are you living under? What's our identity? What's our pursuit? Is it really him? Because if we come to Christ, he gives us a new identity, a new citizenship, and that should be our life. You see, he's called us in the midst of foreigners and aliens to be this priesthood so we could build a community to reach our community And he's given us a complete identity change. But then we also see Peter's confession. Matthew, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. The gospel of Matthew leading up to verse chapter 16 is basically asking the question. uh, You'll hear it throughout, kind of under the surface. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Who is this man? And and Peter's going to knock it out of the park. He and the other disciples that are a place called Caesarea Philippi, a very, very pagan place. And as they're there, Jesus gathers around his disciples and he's basically going to play the $20,000 pyramid. Who do people say I am? Uh, some will say, who is, who is John the Baptist? Some would say. Who is Elijah? Who is Jeremiah? Who is one of the prophets? Okay, but who, here's the, here's the ultimate question, who, ultimate question for Peter and for us too, who do you say I am? And here's what Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He hit it out of the park you are the Christ. Show him what he's won. He nailed it. Who, are, who do people say I am? You're the Christ. You're God's son. You're it. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. Not just another prophet in a string of many. Not just another good man. You are it. Very good. Here's what Jesus says. You know what? Peter, you didn't even get that from your own knowledge. You got that from God. God has revealed to you the truth about who I am and, and, and Simon, 
Bar Jonah, Simon, my man, you're blessed. And here's how blessed you're going to be. I'm going to give you the keys and I'm going to build my church on this confession. And Simon, you're so blessed that I'm going to give you a life of suffering. And Simon, you're so blessed that someone else is going to bind your hands and carry you to a place you don't want to go. And Simon, you're so blessed they're going to crucify you upside down. Simon, you're so blessed you're going to be an outcast. And you're going to bear the marks of the gospel in your body. Simon, yes, I will give you life and life abundantly. You're going to suffer. You see, what we're going to hear in the book of Peter is this. Peter's going to tell them straight, listen, this Christian life's about suffering. But there's hope in the midst of it. He answered the incredible confession, you are the Christ. You know what I love about this? We live in a society that doesn't seem to be very concerned with the precision of the answer of who Jesus is. What they'll basically say is, hey, whoever Jesus is for you, that's great. Who do you believe Jesus is? Oh, you believe he's a prophet. Good for you. Oh, you believe he's a great man. Good for you. Oh, you believe that he is God's own son? You believe that he really is in in one man, two natures, both God and man? Yes, we do. And most people in society will say, well, it's not very important. It's not important to be precise. Well, Jesus makes it very important. I want to know specifically, who do they say I am? Precision is important. Your eternity is based upon it. It matters. C.S. Lewis very clearly and very cleverly says this about Jesus' claims. He says we've got three options. We've got three options about the, this, the claims of Jesus. The one who, say, who will say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one who will say, I am the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. The one who says, I am the bread of life who's come down from heaven. The one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. He made some incredible claims claiming to be God's own son. It leaves us with three conclusions. He's a liar. He's not. Many men and women claim to be something they're not. And we could come to the conclusion that he is a liar because he made some incredible claims to be able to say he's a good man. No, no, no. If he's lying, he's not a good man. The second thing is he's a lunatic. And we've seen people in our society who claim to be God and we say that they've been separated from their senses. That's what he claimed to be. Or Lewis says, or he's Lord. Peter came to the conclusion that he wasn't a liar, he wasn't a lunatic, he was Lord. And therefore he confessed with his mouth and he said, you are it, you're the Messiah. And my whole life will be changed because of it. Who do you say Jesus is? You see, that's the ultimate question, not just for Peter, it's for all of us. Who do we say Jesus is? Let me ask you this question. Who does your lifestyle say Jesus is? What about our checkbooks? I mean, what what do our checkbooks say about who Jesus is? Or our social life? Or our, our, our working life? I mean, look at those areas of our life and ask the question, who do I really believe Jesus is? And then the one who would hit the ball, a tape measure shot out of the park, and I was told the women aren't here, I can use all the sports analogies I want, the one who went and drove the ball across a goal line, hit it out of the park, the one who uh, slapped it in the goal, I don't know what else. He's going to mess it up amazingly. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, here we go. Here we pick up the story here. Uh, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. It's that last night, and there's something, something different about Jesus. 
I mean, Jesus has got a look in his eye that the disciples have never seen before. And he's talking about the end being near. He's, he's washing their feet. He's talking about betrayal. And, and there's Peter feeling good about who he is. Peter, the one who's left everything and says, I followed you. Peter, who says, listen, if I have to go to death, I'm your man. I'm beside you. I'm your posse. I got your back, Jesus. And Jesus saying, Peter, man, before the night's over, before the crow, uh, the rooster crows twice, three times, you're going to deny me. And here's Peter. I mean, remember, he's, too, he's just too sleepy to stay awake in the garden, and Jesus is sweating blood. And they've come to arrest him, and they arrest Jesus. But I love the reality that Peter's got a sword for some reason, and he takes it out. And he lops off someone's ear. I mean, in, in a fit of boldness, in a fit of standing up for his Messiah. There's Peter. You want to say, yeah, go get him, Peter. And Jesus says, Peter, you know what you're doing. Come over here. Let me, feel, let me fix your ear. And now Peter, like everybody else, is scattered. And he's scared. And he's following after Jesus. And he's watching the events from a distance. In Matthew, Mark 14, verse 66, as Peter was below in the courtyard... One of the servant girls, I love scripture, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it. Saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. I see no evil, I hear no evil, no capiche. Whatever they say in Korean. <laughs> he says, I don't understand. And he went out onto the porch. And the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystander, this is one of them. But he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean too. Your, your, your voice, your accent, it's giving you away. But he began to curse and swear. And he began crying out, saying, I swear to God, I don't know him. Leave me alone. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. You know, it, 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 it's really, it, it's puzzling. I mean, why? Because you look at Scripture in Mark 19, verse 26, Peter is said, you know, hey, Jesus, we, we've left it all to follow you. I mean, we believe you're the anointed one. And, and, and God is saying, listen, you're going to be blessed because of this. You really are. You're going to have eternal life because of this. I mean, Peter has done so well. What would make him say to a servant girl, I never knew him? Maybe, I believe, he looked at the cost of following Jesus right then and he realized maybe it might cost him his life. And he bailed. And he wimped out. Is there any area in your life that still cries out, I don't know? I know there's some in mine. And I'm asking for boldness in Christ's spirit because I don't want any of my life to declare to the God who is, I don't know you. 
Peter calls us to stand firm. And you know what? It means so much more to me from a man who fell flat. (laughs) You know? From a guy who's got this many bumps and bruises. But Peter would come through in the end. And Caraggio shows us that picture of Peter being lifted up to be crucified. He did come through in the end. And lastly, there's a restoration. Turn me to John. John chapter 21. You know, really, John wraps up his gospel in in chapter 20. He tells us why he had written what he had written. He said, I've written these things so that you would believe. And and then there's chapter 21. It's kind of like an appendage to the entire gospel of John. It's like Jesus had to do business with Peter. And we find Peter in chapter 21 in familiar territory. You know what he did? He went back to fish. He did that which he knew. And so he's going to find himself as, a, as one who is broken, one who is a, who's a coward, one who's a hypocrite, one who's a denier. You know where he's going to find himself? He's going to find himself back fishing. And once again, he's going to find himself in a position where he can't catch anything. And then in the boat, he sees the resurrected Messiah. And you know that the joy in his heart to be forgiven. Do you have that, ever had that joy? I mean, the need to be with Jesus was so great, he couldn't wait for the boat to get to shore. He had to jump in and swim. And he gets there and he enjoys a meal with Jesus. And in verse 15, this is what Jesus says to him. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, basically just drawing near, do you love me more than these? Probably talking about his companions, the other disciples. And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Jesus said to him, then tend my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. There's such good news for those of us who have disqualified ourselves from God's love because of our behavior. Those of us who have denied Jesus Christ, even his existence in our love and in our words and in our action. There's such good news for us that God still loves and He still uses disqualified people. Amen? Isn't that great news? And what was God, what was Jesus most concerned about with Peter? What was He most concerned with? You know, Peter, come over here. Peter, do you really have the knowledge to stand up this time? Do you really have the internal fortitude, Peter, to make this? I mean, Peter, do you really have the skill set to do this? Peter... Are you the man? Is he asking any of those questions? No. You know what he wants to get to? His heart. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Enough to pursue me and find life in me? Peter, do you love me more than these? Don't you love the reality that God is so concerned with our heart? And he's not saying to us, straighten up, clean yourself up, and then you come serve me. He says, no, love me. 
I love the reality that God is calling us to follow after Him, compelled by His love for us, compelled by His love for the Father, not out of duty, not so we're afraid that we're going to get the plague or something. Out of love. Out of love, He wants us to respond to Him. Peter, do you love me? And that is the key, and it's the key for us too. You see, it begins with love. It continues to love. And at the end of the journey, it ends with an embrace of love in the face of the one who created us. See, Michelangelo's masterpiece of, of David truly is astonishing. I mean, you look at it and think, wow, how can a, a master artist create such a thing? But you know who we are, Christian? You know who we are? We are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The world should look at us. The world should see us and they should see our flaws. They should see our brokenness and our weakness. But they should see our love for the Master. And you know what they should see? They should see a warrior king, Jesus, reflected back in our lives. And give glory to God. Peter's going to write to us and say, listen, stand firm. I've messed it up, but stand firm. Stand firm, he's going to get you home. Stand firm, you're a royal priesthood. Stand firm, you're a chosen people. Stand firm, you're mine. Stand firm through the suffering. He suffered to set you free. Stand firm, and you are his masterpiece. To proclaim to this generation, to this dark world, marvelous riches of his grace and his light. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for a love that will not let us go. That when we've disqualified ourselves, when we've denied you with our lives, when we've denied you with our words and our actions, we find a God who continues to pursue and continues to love. Father, thank you for the example of Peter and for the realization that if you can love a broken sinner like that, you can love us too. Father, I pray for your glory that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling, acknowledging that we are your masterpiece in Christ Jesus for others to see a warrior king in us. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen.